listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. It's important to understand right off the bat that victory is not by any means accidental. It's not God's sovereign choice to make you victorious. The people who experience the victory of the Holy Ghost, hey, Ted and Ashley, love you. The people who experience victory in the Holy Ghost experience it on purpose because they know what it takes to be victorious. And so we've been covering these keys every single night And uh, we're going to be live again tomorrow night. We'll break for Sunday and then be back starting again Monday night through next Saturday as well for these uh, evening sessions. But it's important. (laughs) There's Brother Mark Hankins. He knows what I'm talking about. Love you, Brother Mark, very much. But I'm telling you, I I am so thankful for the power of impartation because you start to realize that it's God's system of promotion in the body of Christ. It's how... He levels you up, takes you higher. That's why I wrote the book that just was released, Further Faster, because that's what impartation does. It allows you to go further than you could on your own personal strength, wisdom, or anointing. When it's imparted to you, when you receive it by impartation, you're able to exceed or leapfrog past the normal. And that's what we want. God wants us to be extremely efficient. Why? We're redeeming the time for the days are evil. The Bible says work while it's yet day. The night is coming where no man can work. And so we want to do as much as we can, as quickly and as efficiently as we can. And part of never-ending victory is understanding how to uh, flow in the power of God and obey the instructions of God that bring victory. And so it's no surprise to me that people who walk in never-ending victory, have so many things in common, characteristics, so many things in common. It's like I told you the other night, how when I uh, ever, anytime I meet someone who is a mighty man or woman of God that's shaken their generation or nations, I always ask them the same question, which is if you could go back in time and speak to the 30-year-old version of yourself, what one thing after all these years would you tell them? Would you share with them? And uh, it's interesting to me that over 90 some percent of those men and women of God have given me the exact same answer without knowing the answers of the others. And some of them without even knowing the other people. You know what they said? I would go back and tell myself to find out exactly what God wants me to do personally, and then only do that one thing for the rest of my life. And of course, that's scriptural. It's based on Psalm 127. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And so we need to understand that we need to do what God wants us to do, not what we want to do. And so we're able to leap beyond the normal through the power of impartation. And it is something that's rarely taught. If people even believe it in this generation, most people don't understand it or think it's something weird. You know, you get you get into some of these weird, quote unquote, prophetic circles. And let me tell you, people get weird quick. <laughs> they get goofy fast. You know, when people are like practicing, and this is not a joke, when people are like practicing walking through walls, you know, 
You've gotten a little nuts. You're like, well, we saw it in the Bible. We thought we need to be able to do that too. And well, our whole team has just been practicing walking through walls. We've not succeeded yet. <laughs> you know, it's rough when you're trying to walk through walls and haven't succeeded. Uh, that really just means you keep hitting the wall. <laughs> you just you just keep hitting the wall. David, if you want to grab the new book, you can get it on Amazon or you can get it at uh, shop.miracleword.com. Brand new book, Further Faster's Out. Um, but there's a, it gets weird. People, Lynn people do that out in your neck of the woods, actually. Um, I did a whole session. You remember? I was just kind of covering some of the weird stuff that goes on. And I covered, remember those angel boards, you know, and grave soaking and, and all those different things. People get weird in the name of Jesus. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit or God the Father. It has everything to do with the fact that people are weird. <laughs> and, you know, if you start talking about the prophetic or, you know, these, these prophetic conferences, you know, whether they try to make it mystical or whatever they do, people just get goofy. Impartation is not a weird thing. It's not a goofy thing. It's a scriptural thing. It's not figurative, Shamar. It's not at all figurative. Uh, it's not a goofy thing. It's a, it's a scriptural thing. And I want to talk to you tonight about that. If you want to go with me to second Kings chapter two, I'll start there. And, um, I actually heard, I read, I should say, I read an article written and promoted by a Pentecostal denomination by somebody who was considered to be a Pentecostal scholar. And they claimed in the article that they wrote, that impartation is not really real. There's no evidence in the Bible of impartation ever happening between two people, two believers. That if spiritual gifts are imparted, it's always from God to a man. It's never from a man to a man or a woman to a woman. It's never like that. It's always God to man. I thought to my, when I read that, I thought to myself, wow, they must have torn out a lot of pages in their Bible. Because impartation, the impartation of spiritual gifts is all through the Bible, from the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament. You think about, and, and let me tell you, I have it here, if, if I got the book, that's why, that's why covering this book, this is about impartation, the power, and the subtitle, just so that people would understand what it was about, how to accelerate your purpose through the force of impartation. I talk about that. In this book, I'm talking about go all the way back to Moses and Joshua. Did you know the Bible says that when it was time to transfer leadership from Moses to Joshua in the wilderness of the people of Israel, the Bible says that Moses laid his hands upon Joshua and imparted wisdom to him. And watch this, the entire assembly of Israel, you know, and a conservative number, Two million people, some people, some scholars say more than that were in the wilderness. Two million people, the Bible says, changed their allegiance from Moses to Joshua and followed him through the wilderness. Let me tell you, that's a miracle. You can't even induct a new pastor to a church of 200 people and have all 200 stay and be loyal to the new leadership. Just flesh gets in the way. Well, I don't like the new leadership. I don't like the way that they're doing it. I don't like the music. I don't like the light. And they'll people find something that there's always turnover. 
You always lose some people in the leadership transition because people are carnal. That shows you how much of a miracle it was that when Moses imparted into Joshua and wisdom came into him, the entire assembly shifted their leadership from Moses to Joshua and followed him as they followed Moses, Deuteronomy 34. And so you see, it had to have been supernatural. You know, a third of them didn't go leave and start their own group, you know, small group in the wilderness, you know. They all followed Joshua, and he was the new leader. And how did that come into Joshua? The Bible says Moses laid his hands upon him and imparted into Joshua. It's all through the Bible. In a moment, we'll talk about Elijah and Elisha, but jump into the New Testament. Jump in, talk about Jesus and his disciples. He imparted to them. He breathed upon them. He laid his hands on them, called them out. They did the same works he did. What about Paul and Timothy? Paul and uh, Titus, Paul and Philemon. Talk about Onesimus. You know, one of the interesting things we cover in the book is with Onesimus, if you study the uh, Paul's letter to Philemon, the Bible says Onesimus was a pretty worthless dude. And Paul acknowledges it in his letter. He says, listen, I understand that in the past, Onesimus was useless to you. He was a useless guy. But then he came to me while I was in prison and I became his father while in prison. Speaks of him as a spiritual son, not the Greek word huios that's like a, a blood son, but technon, as it would be speaking between like a teacher and a pupil, a figurative son, an understudy, what we would call a spiritual son, spiritual father, technon. He, ref- he refers to... Um, not only Timothy as his technon or spiritual son, but also Onesimus. I became his father in prison. And now, watch what happened with Paul and Onesimus. He said, and now I'm sending him back to you and he will be very useful, not only to me, but to you. You see that? So what happened for Onesimus? With Onesimus, he went from being useless to useful. You see that? Impartation changed him from being useless to useful. This is, and this is a key. If you're going to walk in victory, impartation's not optional. I promise you it is not optional. It's not optional. Let me, let me take you there so that you can see what I'm talking about. Go into the New Testament, book of Philemon. It's only a very short book, but I want you to turn there with me and look at this. One chapter, but listen to this. Uh, Philemon chapter 1, the only one chapter, and verse 10. Philemon 1, 10. It's right before Hebrews, if you don't know where it is. It's right before Hebrews, right after Titus. Listen to this. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, this is verse 11, so powerful. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me. So Paul actually wanted to stay, have Onesimus stay with him while he was in prison. But he sends him back to Philemon, Philemon, a changed man. Well, what changed him? What is the thing that changed Onesimus from being useless to useful? Paul became his father and he became his spiritual son and received impartation from Paul. And Paul's impartation changed him from useless 
to useful. One of the things impartation does is it gives you the power, authority, and anointing to function in your purpose. It, write it this way in the comments if you're taking notes. Impartation gives me the power to function in my purpose. I'll say it again. I know it was long. Impartation gives me the power to function in my purpose. I want you to write that in the comments. Impartation gives me power to function in my purpose. When you are uh, able to receive impartation from a spiritual father, then what's actually coming into you is the ability to function as they function. It's like spiritual DNA. It's like receiving uh, the, the attributes, the traits, the wisdom of the one that's gone before you. And Paul was able to pour into not just Titus, not just Timothy, but Onesimus. And he became his child. And you know what he did? Transferred into him spiritual gifts. And then it caused Onesimus, those spiritual gifts, that impartation, to be useful. To be useful. Uh, I know I had you hold 2 Kings 2, but let's go to Romans chapter 1. And let me show you this. Romans chapter 1. When I read that paper, that article written by a quote-unquote Pentecostal scholar saying that there's no such thing as impartation from one person to another, which, you know, I'm not a Pentecostal scholar or any kind of scholar, but I could, I could honestly tell you this, I could have sat down with that scholar and showed him a number of places in the Bible where impartation happened between believers and in the Old Covenant between followers of God. Blows my mind that he would he would be able to ignore what the bible says and he said well no it's not they're not they're not imparting spiritual gifts well when paul said to the corinthian church covet earnestly the best gifts you remember that verse at the end of 1 corinthians 12 i believe it's the 31st verse covet earnestly the best gifts the word there is uh, charisma or charis is the, uh, is the, um, root word, if you will, C-H-R-A-R-I-S, charis. But we have the word charisma, which is spiritual gift or endowment. And that's the Greek word that we're using there. Did you know, did you know that when Paul deals with these words like impartation and says that I want to impart to you, and I'm going to read it to you from, uh, Romans chapter one, Billion saying, no, didn't know. Let, well, let me read that then first to start it off. 1 Corinthians 12. Listen to this. The King James says covet, Billion, but listen to the ESV. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. The higher gifts. So that's the, the charisma, the higher charisma. That's the word charis or charisma, depending on how it's uh, uh, you know used throughout Scripture. Different morphology of the same word. But listen to this, Romans chapter 1 and verse 11. This is powerful. Romans 1, 11. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Rome. He said, I long to see you. Why? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift, same word there, charisma, to strengthen you. I long to be with you. That I may impart to you what was he wanting to impart? Some spiritual gift, charisma. Why? That you may be strengthened 
And look at verse 12. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So Paul was saying, if I impart to you a spiritual gift, I have the ability to strengthen you as a body of believers. I can establish you. I can strengthen you through the impartation or the giving of spiritual gifts. And so one of the reasons we need spiritual gifts is because they strengthen and establish us. They give us the ability to do what we could not do before. And there are those in the body of Christ, just understand this, in case you think God is some kind of a socialist uh, uh, political leader that's looking for the equal distribution of wealth. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. God's not a socialist. He's not a Marxist. He's not a communist. He's not looking for the equal distribution of wealth. That's not how the kingdom functions. If you think that God's a socialist, read Matthew 25. And understand what that says. When the master comes back and finds his three servants who had taken the talents that he gave them, the first two, what did they do? Invested it and doubled it. And then the last one who had one talent buried it in the ground. And what did the master say to him? You wicked and lazy servant. And rebuked him for not producing. Then what did he do? If God was into the equal distribution of wealth throughout the body, he would have said, okay, well, you've got 10 talents now, you've got uh, four talents now, and you've got uh, still got one. So let's do this. Let's go ahead and take uh, four from you, and then you'll have five, and then we'll take one more from you, and then all of you will have five. That's not what God did, did he? The master said, the Bible says the master said, he took the one from the one who only had one, stripped it from him, and gave it to the one who had 10 and said to him who has more will be given, but to him who doesn't have even what he does have will be taken away from him. That is not a socialist outcome or, or even a socialist view. It's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom of God's based on increase, but it's based on obedience and it's based on dedication and faithfulness. And God wants you to go after the gifts that are available and earnestly desire them, the Bible says. Earnestly desire them. Don't flippantly look at them, well, we don't really need them. That's what many people are doing in our generation. Well, you know, the gifts of the Spirit aren't that important. Let's just preach Jesus. Let me let me just break for a moment to go on a rant. And here we go, because I feel like going on a rant about this. It is absolutely stupid. You couldn't be any more stupid than you are for saying, let's not focus on those things like the manifestations of the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Spirit. Let's just preach Jesus. You are stupid if you think you can preach Jesus without preaching about the Holy Spirit or preaching about the gifts of the Spirit because of the fact even Jesus said, I cannot stay here. I've got to leave you and then I will send you another comforter. And when he comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. The works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these because I'm going to be with my father. Why did he say that? 
Because in context, he was saying, when I go be with the Father, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. I'll ask the Father, and he will send you the Holy Spirit, who will empower you. He will lead you and guide you into all truth, and you'll do the same works that I have done. So catch this, if you will. Jesus' mission was not even completed until after the day of Pentecost. Think about that for a second. Jesus, he wasn't done when he said it is finished. He still had to be buried. He still had to descend into the lower parts of the earth. He still had to ascend. He still had to be resurrected. He still had to ascend into heaven and sit on a throne and ask the Father who would send the Holy Spirit. And then on the day of Pentecost, when the church received the Holy Ghost, it was done. So for all of these people that say, we don't really need to talk about the gifts of the Spirit or the whole move of the whole, let's just focus on Jesus. You don't even understand Jesus. Because if you did, you would know that you can't preach Jesus without preaching the Holy Ghost. You can't preach Jesus without preaching the gifts of the Spirit. You can't preach Jesus without signs and wonders. Jesus is not a separate entity, as it were, from the move of the Holy Ghost. He is one with the Father. He is one with the Holy Spirit. They are the three in one and they're unified. So you can't preach one and leave out the other. There's too many people in my generation treating the Holy Ghost like he's the side dish to the entree of salvation. As you know, I'm surprised at how hard people make it for those that want to be filled with the Holy Ghost to be filled. There's people that are going to churches hoping for a Holy Ghost service hoping for their pastor to lay hands on them. But look at how many uh, steps of red tape that people have to go through to get filled with the Holy Ghost in 2020. Well, you know, if you come to our church, you know, we'll teach a little bit in a small group about it. And after 19 weeks of small groups about the Holy Ghost, then we're going to have you listen to 20 different podcast episodes about the Holy Ghost. Then we're going to have you fill out a questionnaire. Then we'll have you read three mini books. And when that's all said and done, we'll have you have an interview with Sister Ethel. And if we still haven't talked you out of it, then we'll take you into a back room somewhere and quickly lay hands on you to see if you receive the Holy Ghost. It's like how many more steps are you going to put in between somebody got saved, now let's get them filled with the Holy Ghost. Go and read Acts chapter 8 and look what happened in Acts chapter 8. The Bible says that Philip went to Samaria and preached Christ unto them and signs and wonders followed. Demons came out of many people. Many that were sick were healed and they listened to the message of the gospel and there was great joy in the city. And many came to Christ. They believed on the name of Jesus. Well, they were all saved under Philip's ministry. Acts chapter 8. They were all saved under Philip's ministry. What was the first thing that Philip did after all those people got saved in Samaria? The first thing he did was send a message to Jerusalem to have Peter and John travel to Samaria. And then what did they do? Let's read it. Acts chapter 8. The Bible says, After they all got saved, then they sent a message. Verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down. Look at this. 
the first thing they did, they came down and prayed for all of them. Who? The new believers prayed for all of them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And it wasn't just some little inward thing. It was like, oh, I can sense that. You've received the Holy Ghost. Something had to have happened on that day when they all received the Holy Ghost. Because look, as we go further, verse 18. Now Simon, who was the Simon the sorcerer, saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of of the apostles' hands. He offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands can receive the Holy Spirit. So what happened? Simon, who was previously Simon the sorcerer, as Peter and John are laying their hands on the new believers, which being filled with the Holy Ghost is an inward work. You, you don't see the Holy Spirit, but apparently something was happening on the outside. I believe they were speaking in tongues because it's it's congruent with everything else we have in the book of Acts. They People get saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost, they speak in tongues. I believe that's what happened in Acts 8. And Simon saw something that ensured all those people were filled with the Holy Ghost and offered to buy it. Well, let me ask you a question. Read that passage for yourself. How many steps did Peter and John put those new believers through before they could receive the Holy Ghost? Let me ask you a question. You, you have the Bible in front of you. How many podcast episodes did they have to listen to? How many small group meetings did they have to go to? How many believers meetings did they have to attend? How many counseling sessions did they go into before hands were laid upon them? Or did they get saved, which is the only prerequisite for the Spirit's baptism? And did Peter and John, here's another one. Let me give you another one real quick just to make your head spin. By the way, once again tonight, brought to you by Bigelow Mint Medley Tees. Let me give you another one just to make your head spin. Did it, did it say that Peter and John asked the believers? Now, now that you're saved, everybody. Hey, everybody. Now that you're saved, how many of you, by a show of your hands, would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And let me just tell you guys, it's not weird. It's a wonderful thing. You know, he's he's our peace. You know, he's our comforter. How many would just like to feel a warm, a warm touch of someone who loves you in heaven? Amen. How many, how many people did they ask? Would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? They didn't ask anybody. They just knew. They knew if you're saved, it was Jesus' desire that you get filled with the Holy Ghost. Go tarry in Jerusalem until you're filled with power from on high. There was no debate about it. It wasn't a, would you like to be filled with the Holy? If you guys would like to be filled with the Holy Ghost, just pull out a comment card. It's in the pocket in the seat in front of you and just circle that little, that little dot that says, I'm interested in being filled with the Holy Spirit. And once you fill that out, go ahead and drop it in the offering plate. And we're going to have somebody contact you within two to three weeks. And then you're Give me a break. Give me a break. Seriously. How many people did they even give the option? They didn't give anybody the option. What happened? They all came down. They were there in Samaria. Philip preached. They got saved. 
And then here comes Peter and John and they're laying hands on every single one of the new believers and they all got filled with the Holy Ghost. Paul, the apostle, went to Ephesus. And when he went to Ephesus, the Bible says he met there 12 men. And he said to them, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, We've not even heard that there is such a thing called the Holy Ghost. Paul, confused, said, Well, then which baptism were you baptized with? And they said, Well, the baptism of John. He said, No, that's just baptism in water. And then he preaches to the gospel, the gospel to them, and they are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? They got saved. And then as soon, watch this, let me read it to you because people act like this stuff's not in the Bible. I don't know what Bible these hipster preachers are buying. I don't have the same Bible that they have. Hipster Bible from 2020. All the Holy Ghost stuff ripped out of it. Acts chapter 19, listen, it happened. When he passed into Ephesus, he met the 12 men. Let me jump down. Uh, explains to them that that's baptism in water, baptized in the name of Jesus. Verse 6. Now look at uh, Acts 19, 6. Look. And when Paul, let me read 5. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They got saved. Verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 men in all. So I'm, I'm studying, I'm doing my perfect, I'm trying to read this in context. I'm being faithful to the text here. I don't see anywhere in any of these verses where Paul gives them an option about being filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't see any, none. He didn't ask them if they're interested. He didn't ask them if they'd like to be. Have you heard about being filled with the Holy Ghost? Well, I'd like to explain it. He didn't give them an option. If you go to Acts chapter 10, what's that about? Peter goes to Cornelius's house, Gentiles, Italian people. Peter starts preaching. Now we know it's God that gives the Holy Spirit. Peter's preaching and they all get saved while he's preaching and they all start speaking in tongues while he's preaching. You know what that means? Nobody laid hands on those people. And let me ask you a question. Did God send an angel down from heaven? And say, hang on there, Peter. I know you're in the middle of a message, but God had a question for these that are here that are now saved. How many of you here in Cornelius's house, fear not, fear not, I'm an angel. How many of you here in Cornelius's house would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? None of them had the option. They got saved and they got filled with the Holy Ghost. The men in Ephesus didn't have an option. They got saved and they got filled with the Holy Ghost. The people in Samaria didn't have an option. They got saved and they got filled with the Holy Ghost. Paul the Apostle didn't have an option. He got converted and he got filled with the Holy Ghost to the point that he said to the Corinthian church, I speak in tongues more than all of you do. More than all of you do. So Paul wasn't like one of these closet you know, cessationists. He was so full of the Holy Ghost, he had signs, wonders, and miracles taking place everywhere. Demons coming out, crazy stuff happening. Acts chapter two, those people were in the upper, <laughs> those people were in the upper room because of an instruction from Jesus. Don't go out preaching and teaching. Don't go out and start traveling the world and trying to do signs and wonders and miracles until, until you are filled with power from on high. That's the, that's the command. And you shall receive power 
after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, Acts 1.8. So they listen, they weren't out doing what they shouldn't have been doing. They were waiting because Jesus told them to wait. Were they saved? Yes. They weren't waiting for their salvation. They were already saved. What were they waiting for? To be filled with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because it was Christ's desire for his people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. No question about it. It is Jesus' desire. We can only conclude that from what we see in Scripture. That's the only thing that any honest, logical thinking person can conclude from reading the New Testament is that it's God's desire and it's Christ's desire for every believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. That's all. That's the only thing we can conclude. You can't read through the book of Acts and then the epistles and come to some other conclusion that, well, God doesn't want everybody to be. No, Paul commends those back in all the churches, commends them for their operation in the uh, gifts of the spirit, being filled with the spirit, tells them to do that rather than be drunk with wine, tells them to stay free from sin and lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said that I didn't come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Paul knew it. Peter knew it. The apostles knew it. The believers knew it. Everyone knew it. It took weirdos in the, you know, later on down the line to try to start cutting the Holy Ghost out of Christianity, but he is one and the same. The power of God is for every single believer. And God has set men and women in the church and throughout the body and anointed them and has given them the ability to impart what they've received from the Lord to other people. No question. God has given, it's all through the Bible. He's given them the ability to impart spiritual gifts, charisma, spiritual gifts to others in the body. And that's what the Bible's talking about when Paul said, I long to be with you, that I could impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be strengthened, established. That's exactly how it works. It's what he did to Timothy. Stir up the gift that lies within you. Guess what that word gift is in the Greek? Charisma. Charisma. Charis. Stir up the spiritual gift that lies within you, Timothy. How did it get there? Through the laying on of my hands. Hallelujah. So Timothy was able to operate at a higher level than he would have by what? The impartation of the apostle Paul, because Timothy was a son to his father, the apostle Paul. And the apostle Paul kept imparting to Timothy. Not only did he write to him by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but also laid his hands upon him and through the laying on of hands imparted spiritual gifts. And you can do that. Christ did it. I mean, they did it throughout the Old Testament. They did it in the New Testament and it's still being done today. And we need impartation. We need it. We need what others have. Let me give you an example that I gave in the book. Impartation uh, can be spiritual, but impartation can also be a natural thing. What I mean by that is impartation is just a word that means uh, to give an, or, or to place in an attribute or a, I would say an attribute or a, a, a what would you call it? 
a, a, a trait or an attribute that was not previously there, you transfer it and make it there. For example, the word impart is not just a spiritual word. If a ball, let me give you a very simple example. If there's a basketball laying in your yard, it's not moving. It's just staying there in one place in the grass. If you run up to that ball and kick it as hard as you can, you have imparted force and momentum into that ball that was not previously there. Before you kicked it, it was literally just staying still in the yard. But after you kicked it, you took your strength and your ability and you imparted momentum and force into the ball so that now it's not staying in one place. It's flying up through the air. That's what impartation is. You are giving or transferring an attribute into something or someone that was not previously there. In fact, I start the book by telling a story about how uh, I was in the pool with my two daughters, Maddie and Brooklyn, and Brooklyn is, is younger than Maddie. Maddie's older. And especially at the time of the writing of the book, Maddie was a much better swimmer. Now they're both great swimmers. But, you know, back then Maddie was what, six or seven and Brooklyn was like four and um, they were in the pool swimming and uh, Maddie is, is very, very competitive. And so as they're swimming, you know, obviously she's not going to let Brooklyn win one race. It's just over and over. She's going to go ahead of her better swimmer. She's going to get to the other side. And by the end of it, now Brooklyn's got like tears in her eyes. She's ready to cry. Somehow she's saying Maddie cheated somehow. Who knows? But now uh, she, I said, I said, hold on. I said, let's, let's do it one more time. Let's do one more race. And I kind of winked at Brooklyn and she, she knew what I meant. And so I got behind her and there, uh, Maddie, I said, line up. They both lined up in the pool. I said, all right, let's go. I said, three, two, one, go. Well, when I said go, Maddie took off, dove and went under the water and started swimming as hard as she could. I grabbed Brooklyn in my arms and threw her through the air, her little four-year-old body. She's flying through the air and she lands in the pool far ahead of Maddie and starts kicking and swimming as hard as she can. And Maddie's still under the water. She doesn't even know what's happened. And so she comes up for breath and looks and is confused. Brooklyn's way ahead of her. How in the world did she get ahead of me? And Brooklyn's scrambling for the other side. And finally, Brooklyn gets to the other side and wins the race. And Maddie turns around and she's looking, how in the world? And then she realizes what happened. Dad threw Brooklyn past Maddie and she won the race. And that's exactly what impartation is. Brooklyn in and of herself did not have the ability, the power or the strength to win in that race. But when I got behind her with my strength and my ability, I was able to throw her forward. And she went, just like I titled the book, she went further, faster. How? Because I imparted force. I imparted strength. I imparted momentum into her and pushed her out with a power that was not her power. And it caused her to go beyond her opponent and win. That's what impartation is. It's when somebody imparts or gives you supernatural strength or wisdom or ability that was not there before. And it allows you to accelerate in your purpose and in your calling like you never have before. If you've got an idea, well, I'm going to do this all on my own. Good luck doing it all on your own. But we need each other in the body of Christ. We need the men and women of God that have gone before us in the body of Christ. And it takes humility to receive impartation. You can't be proud. You can't be proud and receive impartation. 
It's got to be a spirit of humility and meekness that is able to receive from somebody else and say, I I can't do it all on my own. I need, look, if we could do it all on our own, what was the point of the apostle Paul saying, I want to come to you where your assembly is and lay my hands upon you and impart a spiritual gift into you so you can be strengthened. What was the point of that? You think he's just wasting his time? And don't forget the whole word of God is inspired by the Holy Ghost. So when Paul wrote to the Romans, that was inspired by God. What was God wasting his time? No. Impartation is real. It's real. And you can receive it. You're receiving it now. Impartation of wisdom is one of the things you can receive. Impartation of revelation. I can reveal to you things that God showed me. And without you having to take, you know, 20 years in the word to find it and to hear from the Holy Ghost, I can share with you what the Holy Spirit has shared with me and impart wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. That's how it works. But it even works in the natural realm. Think about this. See, people that want to do away or say impartation exists, that's one of the dumbest things we could say because God set it up to keep us moving forward in the kingdom. Imagine if, if, if you will, <laughs> imagine if you will, um, think about this. What if every scientist who ever studied anything upon their death, all of their research, all the things they've invented, all the things they've studied were burnt upon their death so that no scientists after them could ever have their knowledge or their accomplishments. How far out of the dark ages, do you think we'd be in technology right now if that's the way that, that scientists operated, that they kept the information to themselves and then burn it upon their death? That's stupid. No uh, civilization would ever move forward in that way. So when you see something that takes a generation by storm, I'll give you a perfect example. Apple is a company, along with many others, that has used the power of impartation, not spiritual impartation, but natural impartation, to build products that take a generation by storm. Think about, for example, the iPhone. Well, yes, Apple invented the iPhone. But let me tell you what they did not invent. All of the technologies that make up the iPhone. They didn't invent the microchip. They didn't invent cellular technology. They didn't invent touchscreens. They didn't invent um, the ability to mine and refine aluminum or glass. All of the things that go into, they didn't invent Bluetooth technology or Wi-Fi. They didn't invent NFC for, for Apple Pay. They didn't invent that, near-field communications chips. But what did they do? They took the accomplishments of other inventors and scientists and researchers and combined them together to go even further than previous generations went and create a product that now tons of people use. What is that? The result of impartation. They actually were imparted this wisdom. They didn't, Apple never knew before it was done how to make microchips. They didn't come up with that, but someone else figured it out and now they're benefiting from that knowledge. And that's exactly how it works. I watched down through the years and there's lines of impartation that you can see. I mean, it's supernatural. I, I look and see how Smith Wigglesworth and Howard Carter, if you don't know who those two men are, you just look, look them up powerful men of God. I look at how Smith Wigglesworth and Howard Carter both imparted 
to a man named Dr. Lester Sumrall. And then you come down through the years and you see how Dr. Lester Sumrall imparted to Pastor Rod Parsley. And then think of how many people that Pastor Rod Parsley has touched through his life and ministry, through his Bible school and his preaching and teaching and his television ministry around the world. It's lines of impartation. I look back and see Brother Oral Roberts. Think about this. Dr. Oral Roberts, who during the Voice of Healing, powerful, powerful, mighty evangelist. I mean, massive tent crusades, many, many healings, laid hands on over a million people in his lifetime. But look at at Brother Oral Roberts. And there was a man who walked in to Brother Oral Roberts' tent meeting in Dallas, Texas in the the, uh, 50s and felt the power of that healing ministry and came out of that tent revival and said, I know God's calling me to start a healing ministry. And that man walked out of Oral Roberts' tent meeting, went, because he was a pastor, went back to his hometown and resigned the church he was pastoring, bought a tent and started holding tent healing crusades all over the nation. That man's name was A.A. Allen. And he received impartation from Brother Oral Roberts. And then had a young man that traveled with him everywhere that he went and helped him preach in those crusades and pray for the people. And that man's name was R.W. Shambach in that same line of impartation. And Brother Shambach had a young man that would travel with him and help him to lay hands on the people and preach. That man's name was Ted Shuttlesworth, my father. And you see lines of impartation. But it's not just lines of impartation with knowledge and where knowledge is concerned. You can see the power of God flowing through, flowing through those men of God. And you can even watch and see how they function in a similar way. I've watched through the years as people have uh, been imparted to and imparted to others and even watched how they ministered. And you could see even the similarities of how they minister to people. And what are they what are they doing? Well, I've learned. I learned. I've heard my father say, I learned everything that I have ever learned about evangelism at the side of R.W. Shambach. Well, we, I heard Brother Shambach say that. He said, I learned everything I've ever learned about evangelism by the side of A.A. A. Allen. He said, by the way, A.A. A. Allen. <laughs> I love that Brother Shambach said this. He said, Brother Allen cast more demons out of people on accident than most preachers do on purpose. <laughs> But you can see lines of impartation that you can receive spiritual father to spiritual son, spiritual father to spiritual son. There's impartation that's passed down. And impartation gives you the ability to go further, faster. Gives you ability to leapfrog beyond. You don't have to bang your head against a wall for 20 years trying to figure out how to do something when you can literally just receive by humility and meekness wisdom from those that have gone before you and employ it in your own life. Remember this. Remember this when I tell you, and I want you to put it in the comments. God does not want any person to learn by destruction He wants them to learn by instruction. And I know that you don't pronounce it destruction, but I'm doing that for for the alliteration of it. You don't do it by destruction, but by instruction. Meaning God doesn't want to use trial and error as a teaching aid. He doesn't want you to have to get it wrong over and over and over and over to get it right. 
He wants you to have the, the humility and meekness to receive wisdom from somebody that's gone before you, listen to what they have to say, learn from their instruction, and not by failing over and over and over. You know why? Because God wants us to quickly carry out what we're called to do. And why would we wait to try to get it wrong 15 times before we get it right once rather than sitting down and saying, how do you do this? And someone says, this is how you do it. Isn't it funny? That's right. Thank you for writing it. God doesn't want any person to learn by destruction, but by instruction. Instruction is how God works. Instruction is what God wants you to receive. You know, it blows my mind that we don't think like this in church and in Christianity, but they think like this in, you know, if, if you're learning a trade, if you want to be a plumber, you do not go an apprentice to an electrician. If you want to be an electrician, you don't go and sit and learn from a landscaper for 15 years. We understand this. Doctors don't go to law school because you do not need to have training in law to perform surgeries. People in the It's funny to me that people in the world understand about impartation and sitting under somebody that's already doing at a greater level what you want to do. And let me encourage you. There are people that are doing what you're doing that are at a much greater level than you are that you can receive impartation from if you're meek enough, if you're humble enough. Let's go to 2 Kings. We'll finally get there <laughs> before I pray for you tonight. It's what we were going to start with, but it's probably what we'll end with. But there are people that are at a much higher level than you are. And listen, much higher level than I am. You should never stop wanting to move forward. You should never stop wanting to increase. God has never-ending increase available for you. So understand, there's somebody doing what you're called to do at a much greater level, and it's important to connect by faith with that person and by the grace and mercy of God receive a deposit from them. And let me just say this to you. The greatest, what I would call full impartation, not everybody's qualified for a full impartation. Notice, Brother Allen ministered faithfully, but he only had Brother Shambach truly as a spiritual son that really caught his full impartation. Lots of people got impartation from Brother Allen, but I'm talking about a full impartation. What we talk about Elijah and Elisha carrying on the, the torture of the baton. And that comes, if you want to know the truth about it, full impartation doesn't just come from laying on of hands. Full impartation comes from serving the one who holds the gift. If you want to know the truth, comes from serving the one who has the gift. It always makes me laugh. You got these crazy charismatics and I'm, I, I consider myself charismatic, so I can say that. But you got these crazy nut jobs holding impartation services. This is why people have a bad taste in their mouth about impartation, because you got nut jobs doing crazy things in services. Tomorrow night, we're going to be giving out mantles. <laughs> Tomorrow night, we're giving out Oral Roberts' mantle. We're going to be giving out Brother Allen's mantle. We're going to be giving out, you know, it's like, what in the world are you doing? And what scripture are you basing that on? How are you giving someone else's mantle away? 
You, you realize, don't you, that when Elisha asked Elijah for a double portion of his spirit, and Elijah's the one that he was asking it from, and it was his spirit he wanted to get, he said, you've asked me a hard thing let alone somebody that doesn't even know Elijah or walked around, never even met Elijah saying, come over here tomorrow. We're going to be giving out double portions of Elijah's spirit. Well, who, who do you think you are? You never even met Elijah. And there's people tomorrow night, we're giving out Oral Roberts mantle and A.A. Allen's mantle. And we're going to give out. It's like, what in the world are you talking about? Nuts. And this is why people have a bad taste in their mouth when, uh, regarding the subject of impartation. Because you have, but you can't throw, <laughs> you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I always, I always, I always love that phrase because the reason it became obviously at some point in history, somebody had to have been throwing the bathwater out, and there was still a baby in there. <laughs> And literally somebody had to shout at them, hey, hey, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, you nut job. But seriously, um, and there is history to that, but I won't go into it. But you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You you can't, just because there's nutty people that preach on impartation doesn't mean you throw impartation out the door. You should throw the nutty people out the door. <laughs> hey, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Understand what I'm saying impartation's real. God designed it to take us higher, take us further. So we've got to, as Paul said, covet earnestly, earnestly desire the best gifts and go after them and press in to receive and operate in them. Not in a weird way, in a way that's honoring the Holy Spirit and what he gave us by his power. And so that's what here happened with Elijah and Elisha. And I want you to see this before we pray because never-ending victory comes, one of the ways that it comes, one of the keys is receiving proper impartation. Receiving proper impartation from those that have gone before you. 2 Kings chapter 2, and of course you know that Elisha was Elijah's understudy. He was his son, not his blood son, but he was his spiritual son. And as they're going, Elijah, and I wrote more about this in the book, but Elijah was also what we would consider a professor, a master prophet. There were schools of the prophets that Samuel had founded before he died. And as he was getting ready to be taken up into heaven, Elijah stops at several of these locations, stops at several of these places, Jericho and Bethel and Gilgal stops in these places to speak to the sons of the prophets. He'd taught them often. They'd sit around him and he'd sit and teach them. And every time he got to one of those places, the prophet, the sons of the prophets would come out and mock Elisha and say, hey, don't you know your father's going to be taken away from you soon? And he'd say, of course I know, but stay quiet about it. And every time it was time to leave and go somewhere else, Elijah would say, now listen, I've got to go over here Elisha, just stay behind. And you know what he would say? As the Lord my God lives and as you live, I will not leave you. This is part of what qualified Elisha to receive a double portion. He wasn't the only prophet left on the earth. There were all of those sons of the prophets. And they knew Elijah was going to be taken away. And they didn't stay with him. They stayed back at their own schools. That shows you where their hunger was at for what Elijah had. But Elisha said, I will not leave you. And three tests he passed. And finally, they crossed the Jordan River. I want you to see this. And the Bible says, 
when they get down to the Jordan River, they, and I'm going to read to you uh, 2 Kings 2 and verse number 8. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. Verse 9. When they'd crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Verse 10. And he said, you've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, I've talked about that, then it shall be so for you. But if you don't see me, it shall not be so. Verse 11, and as they still went on and talked, behold, the chariots of fire and the horses of fire separated from the two of them, uh, separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces, and he took up the cloak of Elijah, thank you, Jesus that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Now it's time to see the truth of what happened. It's the test. If I really got the power that Elijah had, we will see it right now. And Elisha, the Bible says, verse 14, and he took the cloak of Elijah Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water saying, where? is the Lord God of Elijah. And when he'd struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now look at this, verse 15. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and they bowed to the ground before him. Hallelujah. Why? Because even they could recognize from a long way away, Elisha just leveled up. Elisha just leveled up. They all saw it and they all ran up and bowed down low before him. And two chapters later, he is sitting where Elijah used to sit and they're all sitting around him learning from him. The same ones that mocked him a few chapters before were now sitting at his feet and learning from him. What just took place? He leveled up by receiving impartation. And if you study the lives of these two men, exactly the thing that Elisha asked for, he got. He performed double the miracles that Elijah performed in his lifetime. Exactly double. Not close to double, exactly double. Not to mention, not to mention, let me go go a step further with this. Not only did he perform double the miracles, but you start to look at the ministry, the way that he ministered, the way that he stepped in and became, took the place of his mentor. Now watch this. It's very interesting to me that he had that cloak in his hand, struck the water, and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Now, this, this right here, this stirs my spirit. It took Elijah his entire ministry to get to the place where he could strike the water and cause it to part and walk across on dry ground. It was his last miracle of his ministry. But then, 
Elisha takes up the cloak and strikes the water. And it was the first miracle of Elisha's ministry. What it took Elijah his whole ministry to get to, Elisha started with that. Because if you're humble enough, if you're meek enough to receive that kind of impartation, guess what? The previous generation's ceiling will be your floor. The previous, and that's the way God wants it. That's not a slight on the previous generation. They would want it. They, those that love you, that are imparting to you, they want to see you start higher than they started. They want to start seeing you in victory far before they saw what you're seeing. One of the greatest things my grandfather ever said to me, and it stirred my spirit. I'll never forget it. I remember how my grandfather started. He and my grandmother going down towards where the, uh, the, the, the Navy soldiers were. And they'd go out on the streets, on the boardwalk in, on, on a, in the evenings. And my uh, grandmother would play the accordion and sing. And my grandfather would preach. And they'd win people to the Lord on the streets. They just started where they were. Started doing. And, and it took them. And, and they, God blessed them as they went. But it wasn't the same as what it is now. I can promise you that. He told me that personally. And I remember as a young preacher driving, he got in. I remember I, I was blessed. I've been blessed. And I remember he got into one of my, the car that I was driving at the time. I don't even remember exactly which one it was. But I took him. He always would say, take me to Hardee's and get me some biscuits and gravy. He wasn't supposed to be eating biscuits and gravy in his 80s. But he'd say, take me to Hardee's. He was t- he's telling me to do that because my grandmother wouldn't make it for him at home. She knew he wasn't supposed to be eating it. And he'd say, take me to Hardee's, get me some biscuits and gravy. And I remember my grandfather, and it was in Virginia Beach. And my grandfather got in my car and sat next to me. And I remember he looked around, and, and I remember his face. I can remember what his face looked like. And he looked around my car, whatever car I was driving at the time. I remember it was nice. I, just, I still can't remember what it was. Um, and he looked around. He said, boy... I didn't start where you're starting, let me tell you that. Some people would take that and be if it, well, you know, I'm, I've worked for what I, no, I understood what he was saying. I understood exactly what he was saying. It was at the end of his life, and he looked around, and he looked around with a smile, not angry, not critical, looked around with a smirk on his face, a smile, and got that look in his eye. And he said, boy, you didn't start where I'm starting, I can tell you that. <laughs> he recognized that 60 plus years of faithfulness in the ministry and 80 plus years of faithfulness living, he had passed on impartation to his sons. All of their children to this day preach the gospel. Every one of my uncles preached the gospel, my father preaches the gospel. Every one of my cousins and my family have given their lives to the gospel. Not one of them hasn't. Even the ones that are too little to be doing anything can't wait until they're old enough to do something. Every person in my family, the Shuttlesworths are like Holy Ghost cockroaches. You can't get rid of us. You think we're all gone, then we pop back up again. There's so many of us running around. We take up your entire day on Facebook Live and YouTube Live. If you just watch shuttles, I'm going to finish here in a little while. My father will be on at midnight. My cousin will be on at 11. (laughs) You can't get away. 
You can't get away from us. But it's impartation that's come down through faithfulness from my grandfather and grandmother. I remember his face when he looked around and he said, boy, I didn't start where you're starting. I can tell you that. That right there to me stirred my spirit because I knew what he was saying to me. He was saying, you're blessed. You are blessed. He was telling me, you have gone further. Hallelujah. He was saying, you've gone further, faster than I did. And it was true with his sons, and it's true with his grandchildren. And it's the power of impartation. It's the power of faithfulness. It'll take you beyond what you could do on your own. I don't sit here before you today and act like the reason that I am where I am at 38 years old is because I'm so great. I understand why I'm blessed. I understand that the majority of it is just straight obedience and understanding that God has blessed our family. I know that. I know that. God has blessed our family. You say, well, that's not fair. It absolutely isn't fair. (laughs) In one sense, I didn't do anything other than God blessed me and continues to bless, and I'm obedient to his word. But understand, there is a blessing for generational obedience, generational faithfulness. You might be the first person in your family that got saved, and before you, it was straight up heathen. That might be the case. But let me tell you, you're starting a legacy of faithfulness in your family. You're starting a legacy of blessing in your family, a legacy of anointing in your family. I see some people saying, I'm the first, I'm the first. I get it. But it has to start somewhere. My grandfather, nobody thought he'd be a preacher. He was wild. He was a redneck hillbilly running moonshine through the mountains and stuffing a blanket down the chimney of the one-room schoolhouse church in the winter and smoking them all out. They never thought he'd fight. and I mean, he, he was wild. They didn't think he'd be a preacher or a Christian. And the Holy Ghost got a hold of him, called him to preach. And that everybody's got, every family has to be somebody that starts somewhere. And if you're that person, don't just start it. Stay faithful to it and build it for the rest of your family by dedication, faithfulness, and discipline. Say, my children will be more blessed than I am. My grandchildren will be far more blessed than I am. Far more blessed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And you're going to be blessed. I want to pray for you because impartation's real. And what I'm preaching to you tonight is going to be your story. You're going to win victory after victory after victory because of impartation. You will. You will be humble enough to receive. One of the things I'm going to pray for you is that God would fill your heart with supernatural meekness and humility. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is the key to greatness. I want you to write it in the comments. Meekness is the key to greatness. Hallelujah. And it is. It absolutely is. Love you too. Bow your head. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, for your precious people tonight. Touch them by your power. 
Lord, use them mightily before Jesus comes. I pray in Jesus' name that you'd fill our hearts with supernatural meekness and humility. Never let pride overtake us. Never let pride overtake us in Jesus' name. But let us stay humble and meek and strong in the Holy Ghost. Let us clearly hear your voice and what you're commanding us to do, and we'll do it. Let us receive impartation that'll take us beyond where we could go on our own in Jesus' name. Give us a hunger for your word, a desire to obey you in Jesus' name. Keep us from every wicked thing, whatever the devil would launch against us to take us out. Keep us from it in Jesus' name. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we're going higher and higher and higher. We declare it. May is our month of miracles. It starts today and we receive in Jesus' name. Lord, open up the windows of heaven over your people and pour out a blessing that we don't have room enough to contain in the mighty name of Jesus. Fill us up to overflowing. I pray that you'd make every one of our lives a spectacle in Jesus' name, a spectacle. Let unbelievers look at us and see what God can do with his children in Jesus' mighty name. Let us be a spectacle by the power of your spirit. We thank you. We praise you. We give you glory. And if you receive it, somebody put some fire emojis in the comments because we're getting ready to level up like we never have in the month of May. It's our month to level up in Jesus' name. Throw some fire at me in the comments if you receive it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We call it done in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And one of the things that we're doing, as you know, one of the things that we're doing through this entire month of March is that we're going through the New Testament. And if you didn't see this or you didn't know about it, I wanted to show it to you because it started today and you're not too late to jump in. You can jump in with us. And in this month of May, we're going through in 30 days this Bible reading plan, and I want to show you how to get a hold of it. And by the way, if I didn't tell you, the brand new kids uh, mission is out starting today. If you guys didn't get that, check this out. Brand new Miracle Word Kids Bible reading mission. Available today, going through topically, fear not. Fear not. That's what we're doing for the month of May. And you can download all the resources at MiracleWordKids.com. MiracleWordKids.com. You can get it all. It's all free. We, pr we provide it for you guys all absolutely free and this will bless your kids absolutely so I want you to get a hold of that I don't want to happen I don't know what happened to my uh I had it this morning for you guys I don't know where it went but if you want to get involved with us we sent out an email today we're going through the New Testament in 30 days Bible reading plan we will email it to you all you've got to do is go to miracleword.com forward slash study. That's all you got to do. MiracleWord.com forward slash study. Thank you, Brother Ben. Love you. 
And you can go there and you can get the Bible reading plan for this month. We've got it all printed out for you. And then there's videos on that page to supplement your study, show you some things. We put the video from the other day. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you, Billion. Um, but we put that up the other day with about three videos. But the video I did yesterday in the morning where I taught you how to go through the Bible study tools, all that stuff is up on that page to supplement your Bible study time. And we're taking every day to go through the New Testament and read it before the month of May is over. Don't miss that. And uh, th those emails went out today to you guys. Those of you that are already on the list have the ability to grab that Bible reading plan. It's in your inbox already uh, from this morning. And let me encourage you, those that are watching, before we go, we're going to go out shouting tonight as we normally do. But let me encourage you to sow a seed before we leave tonight. There's people that are believing for increase in the month of May, I'm one of them, and I've been sowing. I know you've been sowing. We're setting ourselves up is what we're doing for the greatest days that we've ever seen in the kingdom of God. And I want to encourage you to sow a seed by faith. Follow Brother uh, Ben Jerome's lead in the comments section. Some of you are always jumping on Cash App. Many of you on PayPal, Venmo, uh, hashtag donate in the comments, miracleword.com. Some of you are still mailing checks like it's 1974. And we appreciate it. I'm just messing with you. I know many of you like to do that and prefer it. That's fine. Our, our mailing address is on the footer of every website page that we have. But however you do it, follow the voice of the Holy Spirit and uh, he'll tell you what to do. <laughs> he'll tell you what to do. And then I want to show you this because my friend, <laughs> I'm just messing, my friend, Pastor Alan Meshagan, no, we love you, Bonnie and Daryl. Uh, my friend, Pastor Alan Meshagan, released this book, Heir of Power. And um, powerful book, man, about your identity in Christ, who you are in Christ. You're an heir with Christ. This book right here, powerful. We, have, we already have it ready to mail out to you guys. And this is going to be our gift to everybody that partners with us in the month of May at $85 or more. Uh, and I love this. He is such a great preacher. There's a picture of him and his family. I don't know if you can see it. Let me put it up. I got to take up the whole camera to, sh to show you. Look at that. Beautiful kids, beautiful family. That's my friend, uh, Pastor Alan Meshagan, pastors uh, Full Turn Church in Hiram, Georgia. And he is a great, great preacher. Absolutely great preacher. Uh, full of revelation, full of boldness. I love listening to him preach. He stirs me up. He wrote this and he's written other books. Uh, just came out with a brand new one called The Table. Can't wait to get my copy of that. But uh, I love him. And he was very gracious to allow us to send this to you. For all of our partners this month, we're going to send you a copy of that. Be a great blessing to you. I've read it. It's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. And of course, for everybody that sows a thousand or more this month, we have the hardcover edition of further faster coming with a dust jacket. I've always wanted to do a hardback Bible or Bible, a hardback book. And um, I said that because I'm thinking of this. We also have this genuine leather life application study Bible we're sending to you. So we're giving you a gift to say thank you. For those of you that are stepping out in faith to do something largely uh, with us, we appreciate it. And you're touching the world through your faithfulness. So thank you. We love you very much. And uh, thanks to everybody that's sowing seed. When I was 16, Pastor Mark Dunphy was my pastor and now my evangelist online. <laughs> yeah, we love Brother Mark Dunphy. Carolyn, were you from uh, 
Presque Isle, Maine, or up in up in northern Maine, when you were 16 years old? Was it Mars Hill? Was that the church you attended? Mars Hill. Been there myself. I saw Brother Wes Falloon that was on tonight earlier. We love him as well and his family. If Brother Wes is still on, lo- love them so much. Appreciate what they're doing for the Lord. Up there in Mars Hill. You lived in Mars Hill. Look at that. You know what I miss, Carolyn? I'm going to tell you. I miss the diner right there. You know what I'm talking about too. Al's Diner. I miss it. Have you ever? And if you've never eaten at Al's Diner, I mean, how did you live in Mars Hill and never eat there? But one of the best breakfasts I've ever had and have had multiple times is at Al's Diner on the way to Presque Isle. I love it. Miss it. I'm going to go back up just to eat in that little diner, man. It's great. The pies... I, I, I could get fat living in Maine. I'll be honest with you. I could get very fat. Not that I'm not fat now, sadly, but somebody gained 16 pounds on the quarantine. I'm not going to say who, but somebody did. Um, <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. I love you guys. I will see you again tomorrow night. Is it Friday already? Is today Friday? Yes, it is. I'll see you guys tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Same bat time, same bat channel. We're going out shouting tonight. Thank you to everybody that's sowing seeds. Thank you for sowing online. Thank you for mailing checks. Thank you for sending it via telegram. Thank you for sending us something like they did in World War II where you just had the... I forget what that's called. Anyway, we love you very much. Thanks for hanging with me tonight. We appreciate you. See you tomorrow. Let's go out dancing. Have a great night. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.